Mr. Vaccine. I'm Steve. Joining me this week, we got Jack Eason. What's up, Steve? I was thinking about something. I'm going to need all you guys to weigh in on this one. So imagine that I'm the exact same person that I am now, okay? But I refuse to go to any bar or restaurant if it's not an establishment where I can throw peanut shells on the ground. The only place I go to. Would you still? want to podcast with me i think i'd be all right i mean that's usually a steakhouse you yeah. can get a fine steak i mean <laughs> at, at like longhorn steakhouse known fine for their fine being steak. the operative word there yeah ah garcon i see the 9.99 petite filet <laughs> I, I mean we're not using fine in the in the fine dining sense but so much as the uh it's all right yeah i mean it's it, it, those restaurants are generally like a Tier above your your Applebee's and what have you. It, it, it's a yeah. sustenance. I just, I mean, I, I'm I'm really drawn to the idea of the peanut shells on the floor because you got to think like a, a peanut is already a second tier snack just starting off, and then the fact that in order to access the snack, you either have to like pull apart a disgusting shell or you're some fucking freak who eats the whole thing, and then uh, apparently you're allowed to just throw shit on the ground. And uh, that's, that's very compelling for me. People, the people who eat the whole thing, just that, that is absolutely unacceptable. And we need to clamp down on it by yeah. law if necessary. Is that a thing? Or do they do like a, a fucking sunflower seed thing? No, no, like no. They eat that, they eat that shit. They eat that shit. I was talking to Coleman about this and he's a, he's a shell eater. Also, Jake is surprisingly silent. Jake, you're here. Are you a shell eater? Is that, is that why you're so quiet right now? Uh, absolutely not. If it's a good salty peanut, I'll suck on the shell and I'll get that good stuff. Yeah. But the shell, you got to spit that out. That's, That's not, right. you can't eat that. That's not, Jake, I've always not good said, for you. when people ask, I say, Jake, he sucks that he spits. He does not swallow. So stop That's fucking right. saying that. I'm a gentleman. Exactly. Uh, what about the people who like throw it in their Coke or what the fuck ever? <laughs> That's some insane. What is that? I mean, I, I've this heard is, of people this eating is the because, shell. like, in in the fucking South or in like West Virginia, where they like all the the coal mine poison has gotten in the water supply. People think that like if you have a soft drink, you should put peanuts into it, and that's just yeah. that's psychotic. Why would why would I do that at all? But what, what do you have? It's like do? I salted a soda, which is not something that needs salt, and now I have like a soggy like fucking mush pile inside of my, my I, coke. I know people who put salt in beer because it reduces mm -hmm. fizz and also reportedly, you know, diminishes hangovers. The dubious on the science that it does reduce suds, that's for sure. But if you have that real problem, you should just drink slightly better beer that isn't just carbonated so much, in my honest opinion, as an elitist. But um, yeah, what, the peanuts... In soda is I've never encountered this before. This is new to me. Well, you lived in the South. I would have thought yeah, you'd be the expert on this man. No, not at all. No, I've never encountered anyone oh. doing that. But then again, I mostly hung out with people who just drank beer. We didn't drink a lot of soda. I didn't grow up in the South, so that's probably a difference there. You're telling me when you lived in Louisville, you weren't just like you know you had you had your sweet tea and your seersucker suit, and you're just under a weeping willow tree, rocking back and forth all day. No, I was too busy, you know, just like 
doing other southern stuff, just eating fried chicken, casual racism, that sort of thing, you know. Owning a plantation. Well, I mean, no, they didn't. They don't give those <laughs> to you anymore when you come over to the U.S. Oh, okay, that makes sense. We're we're fresh out of plantations. Yeah, yeah no, they, they all, they're all wedding <laughs> venues now. for the for the immigrants. <laughs> Apparently, all the land is owned already now, which is fucking bullshit. Wow! Oh, wow. Uh, so did the peanut establishment survive the the COVID outbreaks? I would I would think that you're probably shit out of luck here, Steve. I I bet you this this whole peanut policy is gone. Yeah, I I mean, I haven't really researched it as much as I'd like to, but rest assured, I'm going to dive into this and we'll have a follow up. But what I can tell you is, uh, while I have not been to a Texas Roadhouse or a Longhorn Steakhouse. Um, <laughs> In 15 years, I can tell you that uh, AJ Bombers, an iconic Milwaukee burger bar establishment that's kind of shitty, as many iconic things tend to be, uh, they used to be a peanuts on the floor place, and they are no longer a peanuts on the floor place. And I asked someone why that was, because I, th I thought the answer was going to be like a simple, like, it's a pain in the ass, it's dirty, it's gross, it's weird, like, why are you doing that? Because those are all acceptable. And yeah. someone said to me, they were like, oh, well, it's probably in case people have peanut allergies, they can come in. I'm like, well, listen, first <laughs> of all, I, I don't think they're like dropping on the floor and making peanut shell angels. Second of all, the uh, iconic burger restaurant, AJ Bombers, they are iconic because of a specific burger, which consists of a quarter pound patty, a slice of cheese, some delicious crisp bacon and the bun is slathered in peanut butter so what the fuck you're not no you're not dragging your your little peanut allergy kid to this bar anyways right like come on this is no totally well is that uh i i wonder it could have a right-wing resurgence you know if, if i'm gonna open a uh a restaurant to cater to these sorts maybe the peanuts is, is the way to go that oh is, yeah you were sticking to the man that a culture war like wedge issue I love the, idea of the, the next evolution of the uh the culture war is for right wingers to be like man if your kid has a peanut allergy i'm gonna fucking throw some planters at his ass that that would go over really well <laughs> you think that's the next evolution i feel like that's a conversation that's been occurring for like 20 years <laughs> <laughs> my kid couldn't take his pb and j to lunch what the fuck thought this was america yeah uh, the left uh I, am I nuts? I, I feel like the first time I went to a Five Guys uh, several years ago, I, oh, yeah. I believe they were once upon a time a peanut establishment. They are a peanut establishment, but it's a little bit different there. It's it's just kind of a big fucking mess of peanuts, and I don't know if they're actively encouraging you to throw your peanut shells on the ground, but the other thing is, if you're serving peanuts, whether you're asking people to throw the shells on the ground or not, you're going to have a mess. Like, that's just the way it is. And also, I mean, I don't I don't know the cleanliness level of a place like Five Guys. So I just think they don't give a fuck, basically. I don't remember any peanuts. I think I've only been to Five Guys once. I have no recollection of peanuts being they associated use, like, with it. They use, like, huge-ass bags, like like ones that you would get from a distributor, and they just kind of, like, chuck them around. I actually, you know, that that actually sounds really familiar. The only thing I remember is that the burger was good and the fries were almost too salty to eat. That was... Yeah. That's my but recollection. they put extra ones in the bag because they care. Sure, no, it's an enormous amount of fries. That's for <laughs> sure. That was insane. It feels it feels weird though. That I mean, pick pick one, five guys. Not not peanuts and fries. Yeah, 
It's not yeah, yeah just a lot doesn't. of salt. That's a real love of sodium coming through with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole the whole peanuts restaurant thing is, is inherently kind of bizarre to me. Like, I could see it at a bar, but this is never a thing at a bar. It's always at, like a fucking chain restaurant. It's like, who goes into the restaurant for the, your steak and potato? And you're like, well, you know what really hit the spot? Just a shitload of peanuts. It's like, what? Yeah, which I'm I not in a fucking ball game here, people. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish my full evolution into peanut on the floor guy, um, and I'm and I'm hoping that you know maybe if if some of these establishments have kind of backed away from that, I can kind of bring it back. So I'm thinking, you know, Texas Roadhouse they open at 11 a.m. I'm there at 11:01. They're like, there's Steve, he's the peanut guy. I wink at the waitress, grab the peanuts, eat one, dump the rest on the floor, and say, oops. But like, really, I'm just trying to you know. Just infuse the culture back into the restaurant. So be, be sure to tip like two dollars on on a thirty dollar tab too while you're oh hell yeah doing with that. a two dollar bill. Which by the way, <laughs> anyone who bartends knows if if you get a if you get a tip from an old man and it's a two dollar bill, he has a child chained in his basement. That's just a rule. Like they're all fucking creep child molesters, every single one of them. Uh, anyways, on that note. Uh. Well, you know, it's time you know, for Adam Myros to meet them with his hammer. <laughs> <laughs> New working theory we have about Myros' salvies. His day yeah. job. Yeah. Vigilante justice man smashing Comet Pizza up with a hammer. School? What school? All we know is about the traffickers with stoved-in heads. <laughs> Boy, I wish I had the energy for such things. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, a lot of people yeah, are saying that. They're like, you know, damn, I'd be you know wrecking child molesters with a hammer but i just can't like my car i've been lacking in cardio <laughs> yeah one or two swings of that hammer i'd be about Ooh. done for the day <laughs> yeah i can you barely know, handle a staircase yeah i i built uh one of those like we, we bought another just like shelving unit like one of those prefab ones but you know you have to like just stick it together it's really not difficult but i swear to god i'm so tired having done it i need to <laughs> i need to start moving around more i could definitely i'm the children are just gonna have to Stay chained in the basements. I can do nothing to set, to save them at this point. All right. Well, you know, if you're asking what this peanut conversation has to do with uh, our, our film choices for this week, that's, a, that's it's that our film choices for this week are so boring that we have nothing to say. So we have to talk about peanuts. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm liking this new routine now. We have a kind of have a cold open for each episode. Like last week, we had Jeff Dunham that everyone loved, and now we got to the peanut talk. This is good. Yeah, I mean it's it's all part of my further evolution too. I'm just trying to like workshop my my new persona in life, you know, day to day. And right now, I'm really leaning towards Jeff Dunn on Peanut on the Floor guy. So we'll we'll see. My next fun personality quirk will come out in the next episode. <laughs> um, martial law is what we're covering today. And why are we covering martial law? And you may be saying, oh, the Sam O'Hung television show. How exciting. No, <laughs> you fucking fool. Wouldn't that be great? The Sam O'Hung is super cool. Guys, we fucked up again. No, nah, we fucked up again. <laughs> we decided to go the vinegar syndrome route. And wouldn't you know, there were two direct-to-video films called Martial Law and Martial Law 2, colon, Undercover, that came out in 1990 and 1991, respectfully. And Vinegar Syndrome decided, you know what? We got to put these out on a beautiful, pristine uh, Blu-ray collection. So uh, here, here we are, just three men in a Myros, and the three men all own this. And so why not deal with the shame of 
having unopened vinegar syndrome releases on our shelves and just dive right, you know, fucking head first into this and actually get something watched. And how bad could it be? I mean, we've got uh, Cynthia Rothbrock. We got Chad McQueen, who's Steve McQueen's son, but he kind of looks like a Coke dealer to me. And I mean, y- y- you've got David Carradine is is part of this beautiful film franchise, Billy Drago. I mean, what else could you ask for? I think I think you could ask for uh, action. That would be yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, competency, excitement, thrills. <laughs> Things happening. Yeah, that would be great. Now, I just want to say, I'm probably going to drag both these movies a little bit more than I should, but they're, they're not the worst. I, I think if you were to take the, the kind of like top line summary here is if you think about this era of direct-to-video action films, okay, and, and what those are, if, if you were to feed the pieces of what makes one of those movies into a little computer and then it just spit out a movie, it would be martial law and or martial law too. They're mm-hmm. just, it's, it's all the tropes, it's all the cliches, it's everything. And there's, there's some charm in that, but also eh, maybe not enough shit happens. So I will say though, martial law, the first one, does start off with an incredible bank robbery. And it also gets the ball rolling on my theory for the first martial law movie, which is this was written by a preteen. There is no way the screenwriter is older than 11 or 12 because everything that happens is like sexless lunk cinema. Fine. But also from the perspective of someone who like hasn't had a conversation with an adult. Also fine. So we start off with a hostage situation inside of a bank and how do you how do you stop a, a group of bank robbers? It's a, it's, a, it's, a ju- it's a shitty jewelry jewelry store, isn't it? Not? You're right. It's it's a jewelry store. I'm sorry. <laughs> they couldn't afford a bank, but it's uh, it's yeah, like a it's, strip store jeweler, like yeah. a strip mall jewelry store. Like the the goods aren't even worth stealing to begin with, is what their their yeah. big issue is. And these guys are caught in cops. there with hostages, which is like it's a, it's probably the worst robbery in history. Yeah. yeah. So they got they got hostages. Also, I refuse to believe that any at any given point, there's a dozen people inside of a jewelry store. Not gonna work. Uh, but here we are. These guys all look like shit. Like um, <laughs> we we have a, a a pizza guy moment coming up in this film. But realistically, I think that like the three guys they cast to be the robbers are actually just pizza men, and they needed their uniforms. Uh, but they decide that this is too delicate of a situation to call in the SWAT team. So. What do you do instead? You send in martial law. A and delicate situation? Didn't they specifically say, like, oh, we don't need the SWAT team. These guys are rank amateurs. amateurs. <laughs> yeah, they do, they, do, they do call them amateurs. Uh, but, but, you know, there's, there's some concern. That, you know, use the SWAT team. So when you don't use the SWAT team, you send in <laughs> Steve McQueen's son with a pizza box <laughs> and an old school Domino's uniform. And uh, you just let him wreck shit. And, and that is when we are introduced to martial law. And this also brings up an important question that we're going to have to figure out here because I'm still struggling. Chad McQueen plays Detective Sean Thompson. That's the name of his character. He is referred to as Sean in the movie. Also on IMDb, he's listed as Sean Thompson. On the credits, he's listed as Sean Thompson. However... On multiple occasions, 
people just call him Martial Law. So he's Sean Thompson. Is Martial Law, is that his nickname? And if so, yeah, I so, why is that an appropriate nickname for what he does? Because of martial arts and law, Steve. <laughs> it's, it's a pun, you see, because he's like a one-man army, too. He just does karate, so like, that's fun. Uh, yeah, really I was cool. confused because in the, that opening, which I'm just going to say this opening at the jewelry store is the highlight of both movies uh, for me. Like, it was sadly all kind of downhill from there. But after he kicks the shit out of everyone, he leaves... Uh, the owner of the store is freaking out because the windows are broken, but the guy's like, hey, you got insurance, don't you? Uh, Sean Thompson's commanding officer like pats him on the shoulder as he walks by and says, chuck another one up for martial law. And I thought, oh, is this like a, uh, like a division in the force he's in where he's, like, he's the last resort? But then later, he's like, I know you got a guy on the force. Everyone calls him martial law. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, what is this? And yeah. And then, yeah, but it's not completely elaborated on. It's just it's just mentioned a couple but, times. But then in part two, there's definitely like he's like heading up like a martial law division that teaches cops martial arts. It's like having an instructor named Karate is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And he <laughs> looks like karate. fucking Chad McQueen. He looks like he's like. He, he looks like a, a Steve McQueen impersonator who let himself go. Yeah. He's the lead in this I, movie. I, I 100% a have bought drugs a walking from someone steroid. that looks like him. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Like, he looks like if you went to high school with, with a guy who played football, and then, like, he blew out his knee, and, and now he's just kind of like, he takes a lot of Percocet and is kind of fat, so he's, like, fat strong. That's that's what Chad McQueen is. He's just fucking fat, strong as hell. Like, I don't want to be mean about it particularly, but like, he's just like, here's here's the thing that's weird about both these movies is and you know, like, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But Chad McQueen is not in Martial Law 2. They replace him, but the, the other actor still plays Sean Thompson, a.k.a. Martial Law. It's the same character. Yeah. Meanwhile, Cynthia Rothrock uh, just immensely qualified martial artist is in both movies too and she's the sidekick for no reason like why if you have her and and the movies she made in hong kong she's already made movies like kuriyun like yes madame and writing wrongs and like done amazing crazy stuff on screen and they Mm. brought her over and decided she should stand behind chad mcqueen and another guy playing the same character uh sir his name is jeff wincott who you may remember from absolutely nothing. Um, I guess maybe <laughs> Sons of Anarchy. At, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I uh, meant to check what, like, what has he been in? Like, is he? I feel like I'm going to check it up, and he's got like 400 acting credits from every TV show made between yeah. like 1990 and today. He's You're Jimmy not Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> that's it. And I guess he he played someone in Blue Bloods, but I'm I'm not your dad, so I don't fucking watch Blue Bloods. And, and HBO's The Night of. Yeah, I don't know what that mm. is. Who could forget? Oh, that was like a big thing at the time. Not interested. Yeah. Uh, and then he, and Night Ahmed. Heat. He played a detective on Night Heat. So he's basically like played a cop. He's played a detective his whole life. He, he played a cop and Pee Wee goes to prison. So that's a... Uh, I mean, yeah. What? Big one. <laughs> he also the, starred in an unrelated DTV action film called Martial Outlaw. <laughs> no, when Martial Law goes Guys, bad. Guys, he's been pigeonholed his whole career. <laughs> That's amazing. The, what, the funniest thing about the actor change between movies is that if you look at the Wikipedia entry for Martial Law 2 Undercover under the plot synopsis, 
It says LAPD cop Sean Thompson, who is now a detective, and then it goes into parentheses and Jeff Wincott. <laughs> <laughs> he's now uh, uh, he's been promoted. Oh, and also he's a different actor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's difficult to follow because. Like, Chad McQueen is not in any way memorable or charismatic, but at the same time, you know, it, you're used to looking at him. And then you start yeah. the next movie and it's like, is this not, that's not him. So, I you guess know, we, we should ask, who, which which Sean Thompson did you guys prefer? A lot of people seem to be rallying behind Jeff Wincott, but I think I'm maybe Team McQueen. This is a low stakes fight for me. Uh, <laughs> Not that I, it matters. <laughs> I, I think I'll probably win caught, maybe, but they would cheat by, by a hair and 40 pounds. Yeah. I don't know. I, I agree with Jake because, you know, again, if, if you do any reading about this film, people are like, oh, Wincott is such an upgrade. Like, is he really? I don't think that he is. So I'm choosing Chad McQueen just because I think it's fucking funny that he didn't come back for the sequel and i don't know whose choice that was but either way it's funny and i also think that he's got a real like physical presence as in he just looks like yeah some fucking loser guy who drinks too much beer and not a martial artist so I'm i just it. like imagined him like sitting around with like joe piscopo and like tom sizemore just fucking <laughs> doing rails of coke yeah Snorting rails, drinking fucking 12-ounce cans of Red Dog. And this this is the beauty of, like, Hollywood, because, like, Chad McQueen has studied martial arts because Steve McQueen was into martial arts, and he studied, like, Bruce Lee taught him, and so his son obviously has an interest in martial arts, but he's not a martial artist. He's not, like, a, and he's yeah. certainly not, like, a, like for a Jack, movie. It's called acting, okay? <laughs> he studied martial arts his entire life, but you wouldn't know it when you watch him on screen. Everything is meant like, oh, it's dead. Let's call him martial law. The only guy who can handle it. And he's like, he's like fucking Detective Murtaugh in fucking Lethal Weapon 1, <laughs> kicking the water cooler by accident. Like, that's the whole thing. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't really scan very well. And meanwhile, Cynthia Rothrock is kind of over to the side, not being the lead. It's mm -hmm. frankly, um, uh, it seems a little sexist to me. I, if well, that's we too say woke. she's a star. Like, I mean, she she had been in some very successful Hong Kong action films. And then outside of that, in the Philippines, she was like God. Cynthia Rothrock was like the Meryl Streep in, of the Philippines. Fair, yeah. you know, fair so, enough. This is maybe the biggest disappointment of both films because I was pitched to, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I'm going in to watch these two Cynthia Rothrock films. She's plastered all over the new Vinegar Syndrome art. And I've never seen a Rothrock film, um, incredibly enough. I have, do have a few copies to watch, but um, I was excited. But I was just really just sort of sad that she's sidelined for much of the movies. Even mm -hmm. even when she has ostensibly a larger role in the sequel, it's still just a lot of uh, Jeff Wincott or we're dealing with uh, the like the villain and his henchmen a ton. But yeah, I, I really needed uh, more Rothrock in these movies. And, and she she really is the star here and it, it it's sad like you said because anytime she's on the screen and her screen time is frequently limited uh, whether she's fighting or whatever she's great she's fun like mm -hmm. she's she's fun to watch she just has a, a great presence about her and the movie tries to bury her as much as humanly possible yeah it feels like some you know. insane producer watching is like what's mcqueen up to it's like no the, the most insane note ever offered because they just keep going back or and so i mean the plot let's let's get into the plot here the plot of this basically being at uh, that chad mcqueen's younger brother 
has gotten into crime because he's been recruited through his martial arts school. Everything in this LA circulates around the martial arts community, weirdly enough. I guess that's why they have a whole police division about martial arts. It only makes sense. So mm-hmm. so uh, Steve McQueen's or Chad McQueen's younger brother, he's basically like jacking cars, uh, luxury cars and stuff. And it's it's all for the big bad dude in a suit who's actually David Carradine. I did like Car- uh, Carradine's introduction because he's just introduced spinning a staff around just nonchalantly in an office. Just like that's what you do just to confirm like, yeah, this guy knows martial arts too. This whole movie will be about martial arts. Uh, like, no one has a gun in this. I mean, they have a, in a few places, but, like, no one just pulls a gun and shoots the martial artist, which would be quintessentially the American solution to this. Everyone's got to just, like, pull a fight in a stance and then just do awkward, herky-jerky, like, roundhouse kicks at each other over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the the family connection doesn't sell. This is, like, martial law is just, it's real dull because... It's real dull, and yet, it, and this is a problem I think with a lot of like nineties DTV stuff. There's so much action in it. There's so much fighting, and uh, like, there's always rules like you know you have to like one you know action set piece per reel. That's like a pretty standard like DTV kind of you know uh, kind of requirement when they're when they're making these movies. You know, you want to make sure there's a bit of action in every section of the movie. This one must have like three fights per reel. There's like just a barrage of fight. And I watched this movie yesterday and I don't remember a goddamn thing about any of the fights. There's nothing interesting or memorable about them. It's just two people. It's like a a 2D side-scrolling fighting game and just one guy doing a bunch of kicks and then the other guy doing a bunch of kicks and then back again and back again and then one of them falls over and then it just starts up again with a different character and it's the whole and it runs for just 89 minutes. I don't think there's any fight choreography. I think I think the the director's just like, okay, boys, just get into it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the choreography is the problem. I, I mean, you're getting some connecting blows. It, to me, it's the blocking. Like the whole thing oh, yeah. is blocked horribly. Yeah, you know, the, the fight choreographer in it is Philip Tan, who um, is the British, uh, the the David Carradine's like henchman, chief henchman, and he is a you know he's an accomplished martial artist. Uh, he's he's there, and I agree with Adam. Like the the, the choreography, the choreography is not special. Uh, you know, it's not right. like gonna blow your mind or anything. But like the people, they could do. They're doing some stuff, but yeah, the the presentation is just totally flat. Like, geez, you couldn't get excited or involved in any of it. What is the deal with with the Asian henchman, by the way, the the British guy? And this is where I get back to like this was probably written by a twelve year old, uh, because there's there's really like all the violence is pretty. PG for most of the movie and then this this guy and and there's no reason for him to have this accent and when I say British accent I'm not like oh he's got like a little like oh he's a South London boy no 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 this is like oi there governor I just <laughs> wanted you to know that someone's coming to your school and they're trying to dethrone you and they know you've been stealing cars like it's insane it's it's strange but he it, here's the thing Philip Tan is originally from china hong kong maybe i'm not 100 percent sure is but he, he a, did he did grow up in england is he but, a chimney sweep what? <laughs> this, is, this is a good choice i feel like they made him lean into it maybe because he speaks obviously perfect english so they were just like do an accent i don't know it, it it is it does seem really weird uh but it is also maybe gives him the most like honestly the most memorable character in the whole thing outside of maybe rothrock mm-hmm. just because she's cynthia rothrock well, and then also in, in the villain's stable here, we have 
the this this guy Fester Brown or Faster Brown? Faster Brown, I believe. Faster Brown. Brown. Okay. Faster Brown. Just a totally that that's a great name for that guy. <laughs> what's I, he doing? What's as great as his haircut? I yeah. still don't really know why he's in the movie. I'm what's his purpose no. particularly? Just like like manic drag queen energy that he kind of brings to the proceedings. Like it's just imagine if uh someone in RuPaul's workroom was uh suddenly a conniving villain. <laughs> Trying to steal cars and backstab other conniving villains. Don't, okay. don't forget, don't forget this one also for for villains has a, a brief cameo for Toru Tanaka, which amounts to nothing. Again. Yeah, Jesus. he's great. I had that written down well, too. It's like, ooh, Toru Tanaka. Nope, he's not doing anything. The Toru Tanaka stuff is the funniest example of like horrible blocking. There's like a point where you like the cameraman like bumps into it. <laughs> <laughs> Like we didn't mark where old Toru was supposed to be standing. I see. Yeah, that's good yeah. stuff. And um, he, yeah, killed killed with one punch from uh, an otherwise pretty sleepy David Carradine. He's kind of just sleepwalking his way through this movie as the villain, yet still somehow not as bad as the villain in the second film. Yeah, but the problem is how they use him. He's certainly like better than the villain in the second movie, but. If they would use him the way they used the villain in the second movie, it would work a lot better. But this one, they're like, oh, yeah. we got David Carradine. I guess we better have him do all the fight scenes. And he's just like old and doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> and just kind of like stands around. But they put him in like every pivotal fight for no reason. <laughs> I, I like I like the Carradine thing because I'm sure a lot of people were like, where did they come up with the five point palm exploding heart technique from Kill Bill? Yeah, the answer is, a, is martial law. It's a Tarantino <laughs> David favorite Carradine for sure. Does the exact move. <laughs> I, I think that I think it may it may originate slightly earlier than that in, in a couple of movies made in uh, yeah, another country. But, but was <laughs> no, David Carradine law. doing it? Was David Carradine doing it? Uh, yeah, martial no, law. My my favorite story. <laughs> I, I watch on the Vinegar Center Blue. They they have like a little uh, like thirty minute just kind of interview setup where they kind of cycle through some interviews with people who made. The, the movies and my favorite ones they didn't get david carradine there but one of them has the director has like a story about david carradine who is so far as i can tell just wanted to keep the suit he was given for this movie and he didn't <laughs> want to wreck the suit so at one point when they were driving to location he stopped by his house to bring a change of clothes to make sure that the suit stayed good in the movie so that he could keep it and that was like that was his <laughs> chief focus and I think that bears out in the final performance of this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's got a lot of like slow, cautious movements. And anytime he goes to the ground, he's like, okay, just going to bend down slowly here. Uh, that, that actually, that, that clarifies a lot of things for it, me. It so. does. It makes, it makes a lot. It's more it, that that clarifies things. There's other things I cannot find any uh, explanation for. Like uh, one of my notes watching this movie and Adam, you mentioned like the weird blocking in this movie, and there there is some strange stuff going on throughout. One of the weirdest things is in as Chad McQueen's kid brother's bedroom, there are two movie posters on the wall, which is not at all unusual. Um, slightly unusual is that one of them is for Richard Syadian's Dr. Caligari. That's a, a weird <laughs> deep cut to put on a teenager's bedroom wall in the early 90s that's a bit peculiar but even more peculiar than that is that both of the posters are hung sideways and i think it's because 
the room that they were dressing it and the angle they were using uh it, it the posters were just too big and they couldn't <laughs> fit them so i think they just flipped them 90 degrees uh absolutely astonishing piece of work i was very confused wow. and don't forget you know when they're in chinatown and they're they're walking through and they're they're looking for various ne'er-do-wells and they're like yeah this is chinatown it's chinatown where all the bad asian stuff happens and then they stop in front of a wall and there's just gg allen spray painted on the wall <laughs> That's right, that, yeah. and that's um, one Noted of the... Noted Yakuza icon, Gigi <laughs> Allen. <laughs> one, and one of the guys in that fight is Benny the Jet Urquidus, who is another person like Rothrock, who has been like an iconic villain and an incredibly accomplished martial artist uh, in Hong Kong. Um, and in this movie is nothing. Like, I was literally... He literally was like halfway into the fight. And I'm like, that guy looks a lot like... Benny the Jet, but he couldn't be because this sucks. Sure enough, it's, it's him. It's it's really weird, yeah. So a lot of the, these two films are just the like supporting roles and the stuntmen are filled in by like bona fide guys who could kick ass. And you think, oh, on paper that's a great idea. I'd love to check this out. But yeah, they're otherwise wasted, or as Myra said, just there's bad blocking and cutting around their action scenes, and they really kind of just come off as incompetent, and it's really. It's really just embarrassing and, and drags the movie down is that they have serious people and uh, and they're not utilized in any sort of satisfying function. It's kind of like when a, when like a Star Wars or a Marvel film says like, oh, we got the guys from the raid in this movie and they don't do anything cool and they're killed off immediately. It's that same kind of mentality. <laughs> so you're yes, saying the, this is uh, part of a grand from tradition. The play uh, uh, bug minions for <laughs> yeah. what, what I will say about this movie um not positively about this movie, but what what that is, you know, a lot of those '90s DTV movies have, you know, they they have all the problems this movie has. Martial Law One, particularly, you know, it, it's got all the problems of like, you know, the choreography isn't great. They don't have a lot of money. They're kind of like, you know, it's it's very sparse sets. Some of the sets in this are real fun. Like the the police station is clearly like they just threw up one like soft office partition. Uh, like a two-part yeah. main ninety, and stuck a desk in there, and like this is a police Half station a now, you know. But um, it's it's got like those kind of issues that are real common in those nineties DTV things. But the overall, the problem is that the movie just isn't like it can't find any kind of a hook. There's nothing really goofy about it. There's nothing really funny or charismatic or interesting. There's just nothing, no alchemy to just kind of like circumvent obviously limited means and it so it really is just like it's just your base level 90s dtv action movie which is not a great time frankly like you i'd, I'd have to no. be like three beers deep and even then it's kind of like you just watch something else there's so many other movies you could watch well you tell me you didn't buy into the heartfelt struggle between the brothers no no i did not the wrong side of the law Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even and even like steve you've mentioned like the the weird um like uh prudishness of it, it which is really strange like uh, there's there's one instance of nudity in the first movie and it's like a woman in a hot tub at david carradine's place and she's in the background of every shot and then she gets out of the hot tub towards the end of the scene and she's topless but she's still way down the back of the shot and kind of blurry 
And it's like, did they find a woman who was willing to be nude in a movie, but she didn't want to be in focus like this was a stipulation? <laughs> it's bizarre. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's, not that's to be too compromised, Jack. Yeah. They're like, so titties. And she's like, no titties. And they're like, well, what about blurry titties? Blurry titties. And like, not to be too blunt about it, but like, it's a direct-to-video 90s action movie. Like, you, this, the absolute audience for this movie is 10-year-old boys you gotta deliver something for them. And this one does. I think even if I was 10 and I watched this, I think it was lame. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, you know. What the hell was Carradine's like, plot in the end of this thing anyway? I, I was a little unclear. They were just all of a sudden, the colonel and the governor were just battling it out at some airfield and... I was like, yeah, he's, what the he's, fuck's happening? Well, he's he deals in luxury goods and also yeah. weapons. I think he's he's importing or stealing stuff from overseas, including luxury cars, and selling them to turn up profit. That's that's the only thing I can really come up with. It's it doesn't matter to be quite honest. What yeah, he's but doing. it's like just, dealing with a South American involved. dictator. <laughs> what the hell is that guy went with cars? It does seem. I think it is weapons at that stage, but yeah. I don't know. He just I do love up the dialogue. Like a, around that because again going back to steve's was this written by an 11 year old it's like he shows up and it's like do you have the weapons yes but it will cost you money okay and, and that's and that's like and then they meet up like the next scene is an airfield it's like do you have the weapons do you have the money and then just some shooting happens so i guess Carradine's plan is to just take the weapons and the money and leave the country Sure, I guess. Well, I the country's under martial law. Maybe he hasn't law. thought it out completely. Yeah, <laughs> it's very vague and, and bizarre. It, it just kind of serves as a, a perfunctory <laughs> plot point, I guess. No. Well, uh, yeah, pretty much. And then once you get into martial law, too, I, I, I guess it's a, it's probably a little bit more entertaining. There's not as enough. Uh, there's not as many weird, quirky things. I think in in martial law too. You know, there's no Gigi Allen graffiti. There's no strange Asian henchmen. None of that head scratching stuff. Uh, but it's certainly a more competent movie. Although, if you're looking for balls to the walls DTV action excitement, I don't know if this is necessarily going to scratch your itch. The only note I wrote down is soundtrack sounds like a furniture commercial so uh, <laughs> it's pretty good that's what i got it's it's definitely i think it's a step up i enjoyed this a lot more um i think it uses its tropes a lot better i mean the bad guy kind of sucks as you've mentioned but he's sort of like he's a generic businessman kind of bad dude uh just a guy in a suit but what a suit i mean the 90s suits here are, are astonishing but definitely the fighting is it's better. It had like it, they find a couple of ways to actually like kind of accentuate elements within the fight rather than just a guy kicking and a guy punching, you know, kind of caught. It's like it's all on in frame and in focus. What more could you want? They find like a few angles to like accentuate an impact. Uh, one of my only notes from this movie, and this must be at least an hour into the film, uh, Cynthia Rothrock kicks a guy up against a car door. And the, an open car door, and and he hits it so hard that like the the car door like shears off under him. And I just wrote down, finally some action. And that's <laughs> this. And at this point, I'm approximately two and a half hours into the martial law franchise. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's 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 something. Uh, it's definitely better. Uh, we also get some actual violence in this one. Do we have like a headshot 
in one scene so definitely there's there's actual blood in this it's amazing like if i were 10 years old watching this one i think i would be a could get a little excited about it at least so i think you know that's the metric but but i will also agree steve that this martial law 2 is good because martial law 1 isn't that's the only metric if you were to compare it against (laughs) almost any other martial arts movie it's not going to come out too far uh, ahead I think Jack just prefers it because there's a Billy Drago sex scene. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, who doesn't yeah. love a Billy Drago sex scene? This puts it in league with the Takashi Miike. You know, this is an incredible cult cinema uh, treasure. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I got my list of like top 25 dudes I like to see thrust in, in my action films. And <laughs> Billy Drago is like, he's, I think he's top eight. So. He's up there. Yeah. He's great. You know, you know, it just reminds me to get because I, I was playing Bloodborne earlier for the first time and I suck at that game. I suck absolute shit at it, but it has a character creator screen and you can just mess with all the character attributes. And I just made the just goofiest looking motherfucker I could. But honestly, Billy Drago looks a lot like someone just messing around with like nose dimensions and stuff in a, in a, a video game character creator. And oh, I say yeah. that fondly because I, you know, honestly, whenever I see Billy Drago and something, I'm like, hell yeah, that's like, he's, he's kind of an institution. Good oh, just, or bad. Just maxing out the cheekbone slider. It's, yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> just like, it's all like min max on every single attribute. That's Billy Drago. And I think that counts for his acting too. And, you know, if nothing else, I mean, you, you, you'll recognize Billy Drago. Like we don't have faces like that anymore in movies. No. Everyone looks too good now. It's boring. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you look at him and you're like, this is the most deeply villainous man I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Can you Which believe he's I a guess, crooked cop? Yeah, I know. And, and it's it's funny because he's he's so great at being a villain. But also in some instances, like martial law too, kind of lays out the plot for you. It's like, oh, Billy Drago is the uh, the police chief. Gee, I wonder if he's gonna get into some things he shouldn't be getting into. I thought they were. I thought I didn't think they were going there for a while. I'm like, really? They have Wait. Billy Drago, and he's like just playing like the chief, the angry chief character who's uh, befuddled oh, I, by the detective. I'm like, are they really not gonna make him crooked? And then it's like, oh yeah, we're making him crooked. Yeah, I, th- I thought there was no way they weren't gonna do something with him on that level. I thought I, as soon as I saw Billy Drago, I'm like, oh, well, there's the big bad right there. I mean, you can't not cast him and expect mm-hmm. him just to be this throwaway decent side character. Except he really isn't the big bad. He's just like a conflicted crooked. Guy. That's also just like how both of these films end like as soon as the final bad guy is dead. Like uh, David Carradine is either shot or something, in the, and that's like the last moment of the first film. Or something and then, is right. And yeah, the other one at the end of the second film, they realize that Billy Drago's dirty and he's been leaking information. So they go to his house to confront him or arrest him. And Billy Drago's just sitting in his dark home office and he just puts a gun to his head and shoots himself. And then that's the end of the movie. There's nothing, no follow up to that. That's the Dude. end of the martial law franchise. And the martial law too goes fucking hard. Like it's it's <laughs> literally like pull the trigger, bang, credits hit. It, there's yeah. nothing you don't you don't get a second to breathe. <laughs> yeah, well, Carradine is, gets the death punch, doesn't he? Uh, the martial law gives him does, the death yeah, punch. Yeah, martial yeah. law yeah. gives him the death punch. Yeah. I had forgotten that until you clarified. And we're like, oh yeah, that's what happened. That's like martial <laughs> law just feels like a memory, like just a faint <laughs> dream, uh, but not yeah. a very interesting one. Just sort of like, yeah, I guess that that happened. Uh, yeah, I can't really pick a favorite between these two films because I think there's both. They're just so interchangeable for me. Like some something good in one is just poor in the other. 
that mm-hmm. it, it kind of just balances out and i'm i'm already forgetting vague things about each that i think uh, it's good to think of them as a single film because yeah i watched them back to back if you buy the vinegar syndrome set you get both uh they're yeah. both short so it's easy to watch them back to back 89 so, minutes each yeah you know you, you have like three hours and you want to say that was okay uh here you go <laughs> this is what you do yeah I, yeah I think they work they work pretty well in that i will say i think part two is a significant step up i think it's just it's got if nothing else, Rothrock, while still inexplicably being the sidekick, is foreground a little more. There's one or two fights that at least have something. They have a little blood. They have, uh, you know, just a little... I, I think it, it uses... Like, they've got the nightclub that seems like it's just a more memory... It's still a real low-grade nightclub, but it still seems like a more memorable setting than anything in the first movie. I don't... The first movie, honestly, they could have shot it like fucking Dogville. It would have been the same... Like, they should have just, like, stood in, like, a chalk outline of every room. And it's like, he's in a bedroom now. He's in a warehouse. Cause no, almost- this, is, this is more 11-year-old shit in Martial Law 1. Because none of the locations seem to reflect what that actual place would be. <laughs> Most notably, the bar. Holy shit, where, like, fucking Fester Brown is, ha- is hanging out. Like, what, what am I even fucking looking at? There's just some 80s butt rock band playing. And there's it just it, the tables are in bizarre places. It's, everything about it is just like you have never in your life been in a music club or a bar or anywhere with other humans. You're you're an 11 year old lizard. It looks like it looks like if anything. And, and you know, it just as you mentioned this, I'm suddenly I'm getting sh- uh, like flashbacks to like um, champagne and bullets and the whole extended <laughs> bar sequence of that, which is uh, more similar than I care to admit. But yeah, it feels like if anything should be happening in a bar space like that, it should be like a country and western band singing mm-hmm. something. But no, should it's a heavy metal. It's like an L.A. scene, you know, heavy, like hair metal band playing which is very of the time, but it doesn't make any sense in the... I, I swear I oh. swear, there's daylight coming in the windows, too, if, if, in my memory of it. Like, <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, everyone's in this weird bar at 2 p.m. in the afternoon listening to a heavy metal band. God yeah. damn it, I forgot about that scene entirely. Like, what... Again, this is this is not this movie doesn't have like a script. Like you just watched it yesterday. How did you? <laughs> I, that's that's the magic of this movie, I guess. I don't know, but like the whole thing is martial law brings uh, Rothrock with him because he's like going in undercover, can't be smoked out as a cop. He gets in the club. Some like prostitute propositions him. He takes a condom from her for some reason because it's a hilarious joke, and then just immediately is like, hey. I'm a cop and starts a fist fight. I'm like, what the fuck is the point of this? Adam, he was an undercover from the door to the far side of the bar. <laughs> he had mm. to sneak in to confront Faster Brown. And then the second he fucking confronts Faster Brown, he flashes his badge at him. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a different technique. Not a lot of people would go that route, but this is martial law. So. Well, He's to be fair, you know, this reminds things. me of something in the the very fir- in the opening scene with the jewelry store robbery too. It's that martial law's entire success depends on one guy's gun jamming. Like he literally see he, he, <laughs> oh, just, yeah. he drops off the pizza. He then just starts beating up one dude. Another guy is just there with a gun, and he's just mm-hmm. like, oh, "I guess I'll shoot this guy." And then his gun jams, and it's the only reason martial law isn't dead before the movie's even begun. 
Oh, yeah, because he's got to show up. I'm not, I, I refuse to call him martial law. I would call him showboat and Sean because this is, <laughs> you know, he's, he's putting his life and the lives of others and all those hostages in danger because of his, you know, his, his hubris. I mean, yeah. Even if, like, he wasn't in the danger of dying, like, the hostages were certainly being held at gun and knife point. I mean, it's like that guy shows up and starts kicking ass, like, okay, well, I'm going to start slitting throats over here. Carry mm-hmm. on, martial law. Can you, yeah. I'm just imagining, imagine if Cobra started with Sylvester Sloan going into a place and then just doing shitty chop sake, like, <laughs> making an out, of, an out of shape Sylvester Stallone, just yeah. doing, like, shitty roundhouse and then, and then he takes a slice of the Domino's pizza and he cuts it with scissors. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, yeah. yeah, he does, uh, I mean, when he's in the middle of that opening, he still pauses to get, like, a beer off the shelf before he continues spraying down the, the motorcycle gang or whoever's robbing the store. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, and I mean, I know that, Jack, you, th- you prefer the second one, and I, I got excited when the second one started because, again, the highlight is at the beginning. We get this opening sting operation at a park where these guys are selling some contraband out of a van, and Cynthia Rothrock is manning a uh, hot dog cart. And then there's this pretty extensive fight scene where she and her partner just take down a bunch of goons in the park. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is now Rothrock's movie. But no, it's, again, she's just sidelined. We get opening credit sequence, Jeff Wincott doing martial arts in his own dojo. Right, well, yeah, that's that's the confusion from the opening sting is that there's another guy fighting, but we don't know who he is because he's yeah. not the first guy. And then, yeah, it's like, oh, no, it's still his his movie. That opening sting he's, is great, yeah. too, because it's just like they had, they're had they selling weapons in the back of a van and there's a bunch of guys hanging out outside the van, presumably to not allow anyone to mess with the deal. <laughs> and and the, the main undercover guy just like pretending to be homeless, just walks up and just plants himself into the back of the van and then opens the fucking doors while the everyone just stands around. So, yeah, frankly, I'm not surprised that gang was scuppered. I don't, you know, L.A. has harder criminals than that. You, you don't, you're telling me you've never bring a, a security detail to your illicit gun deals in public? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah bring, bring the security detail who don't do anything even. Yeah, well, like most bouncers, they just stand there and look like assholes. That's, oh. that's it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a whole, whole experience. Um, so, so Jake, I've got to ask you, Jake, you're, you're in L.A., right? Or, you know, around. I, I uh, so how How accurate to, is, you know, you, the L.A. you see in this... It feels like, you know, a lot of good location shooting and stuff. Is L.A. really like this? Did you feel like you were home watching these movies? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like I could have just stepped outside my house and I was on the set of Martial Law 1 and or 2. It's <laughs> it's they they I don't, they nailed it. I mean, I heat, to live and die in L.A., pff, screw those films. <laughs> I'm sticking to these when it comes to my regional action films. Yeah, it's kind of like the 90s version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like the yeah, dollar yeah, tree they, version yeah yeah they shoot at the griffith observatory but it's at night and nobody's on it um it, yeah so it's it's just a bunch of closed locations or just empty parks there's no no <laughs> real ex- la to speak of mm. yeah a lot of people don't know this but whenever you're in los angeles there's just not a lot of people around yeah so. yeah it's notoriously a ghost town <laughs> so i wonder like the meddling that might have occurred with the second movie as far as like the producers because it feels like the whole thing is set up to make it Rothrock's movie. I mean, if you look at a lot of the marketing even from the time of the first film is features her most prominently. And then the whole setup of this is 
they get split up to different police forces, and also it involves the fucking death of a cop, so it just seems like it's set up to be like, all right, we're going to bring back McQueen and then kill him off immediately, and it'll be Rothrock's movie, and then like some producer was like, yeah, but what about a guy with a dick? <laughs> no, it, it, it's wild to me just the level of sexism that has to exist to have Cynthia Rothrock, who is like, for five years, Rothrock was the reigning champion of weapons and forms in the United States. And there was no men or women's division. There was just one division for everyone. And she won it consecutively. I think she was undefeated in all competitions for five years. And they brought her in. And then she went to Hong Kong and was in movies by Corey Yun doing insane shit. And again, watch Yes, Madame and Right and Wrongs, you know, watch these movies. And then uh, then she comes back here and they're like, no, we, we need someone to really anchor this movie. It's insane. Like, how, how bad do you have to be when you have Cynthia Rothrock? Like, I mean, it would maybe it makes sense if the other person was like a really, you know, a real, you know, grav- gravitas actor and that Rothrock could be the action and the other person could be like the, the really, you know, kind of acting thing. Because Rothrock is not like... This is early in her acting career. She even commented when she was talking about this movie that, like, she this I think was maybe her first American movie, actually, Martial Law, and um, she commented that like she was getting used to the idea of actually having to say her lines uh, on on <laughs> set because in Hong Kong she didn't have to. She would just like pretend to speak, and it would all be post dubbed later on to whatever language they needed. Uh, so she didn't even she she said she didn't know her lines in Hong Kong. It was new in America. She got to see her lines and she had to learn them and then actually speak them because it was all in the film. You know, so fair enough. Rothrock is not like very developed as an actor here, but like she's clearly the draw in a martial arts movie and to kind of just push her to the background over and over again to focus on anything else in this movie that has very little else going on just speaks to a distrust and sexism that is kind of startling, honestly. Actually, you know, as much as, you know, you know it's a thing, it's still kind of shocking how blatant it is here. Good lord, it's impossible to tell what would be her first American movie. Between 1990 and 91, which are the two years of these films, she had nine films released. (laughs) Wow. Good for her. Wow. Including like China O'Brien and China O'Brien 2 and Tiger Claws, like a lot of her like most famous roles. Yeah, I think I think she said in the Vinegar Center thing that Martial Law was her first, but I don't know. But certainly of that era, like <clears throat> she, mm-hmm. she fresh off the boat back from Hong Kong and rolled yeah. into the DTV action world. Well, you know, unfortunately, when I go to uh, what I like to call the encyclopedia or even the Bible of film knowledge, uh, which is the IMDb trivia page, <laughs> I can't seem to find anything indicating that you know producers fucked around with this and this should have been cynthia rothrock's movie i mean obviously it should have been her movie but uh there there is a couple of things that i think are very important um one is one of the motorcycle gang members in martial law 2 undercover he's wearing a brotherhood vest uh and that's from stone cold with brian bosworth which is a much better movie than martial law and martial law 2 so you should definitely watch that. And we, we love the Boz here. We're big Boz heads at Optimism Vaccine. And this is, you know, w- when we talk about Mar- when we talk about martial law, when we talk about IMDb trivia pages, we're talking about people who they, they don't do human interaction. That's not really their thing. So with that in mind, listen to the poetry that I'm about to read you, boys. 
Rothrock's signature kick, parentheses, back and over her own head to the head of a guy in front of her, as distinctive as an Alfred Hitchcock walk-on, occurs in the 52nd minute. <laughs> that is just masterful. So, I guess I guess tune in for the 52nd minute of martial law if you want to see that. But yeah, I think otherwise... that's the uh, mall mugging scene kind of mm-hmm, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... I don't know if there's much more to say about the martial law series. If Steve, you got I, have, it, I have one more piece. Okay. Absolutely. Because I, I, I want to get it on record, and I don't know if anyone else can help me out here. So I mentioned there's a headshot in, in martial law 2, and that's great because action movies should have blood and violence in them because that's why they're action movies. And mostly yeah. they forgot that with these, which is very confusing. But martial law 2 has the headshot. And then he's with a shotgun and he shoots a guy in the head and blood goes everywhere. And that's fantastic. And we love to see it. And then he runs into the next scene carrying the same shotgun. But I swear the shotgun barrel is like flayed like out like a like a blunderbuss, like a cartoon Looney Tunes blunderbuss. Like someone stuck their finger in the barrel and it exploded like it, and it's made of plastic. And I yeah. think they broke the prop shotgun, but they had to keep it in the next shot for continuity because he gets rid of it. He never fires it again, but he has to carry it. But it, can anyone, did anyone else notice this? <laughs> I, I did notice that, and I had the exact same thought that you did. Because at first I was just like, oh, it's broke. And then I thought that like the fact that the shotgun was broken was going to play into something. But then the, the more they showed it, because they're not really going out of their way to hide the damn thing. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> like, <laughs> nope, they broke the prop. 100% broke the prop. It was a little muddier on my end. I didn't have a crisp blue ray. Uh, I was watching this on uh, Tubi. But I, I, it looked like something was this, like like some clothing or something was like stuck to the end of it. I'm like, what the fuck's happening with this gun? But, I don't know. Tubi's always a fair trade. You know, you don't get the 4K resolution, but you get erectile dysfunction commercials. Very, very true. <laughs> yeah, it never, never struck me that uh, this was supposed to be an intentional thing that happened. Feels like that. It's like ah, fuck. We had this. We just gotta kind of use it, and that's why. That's why it's basically tossed off. But yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't really think that that. The... You, you know, Jake. I, I want <laughs> so to get back to. I want to get back to one of your earlier points where you were saying that honestly, having the main character called Martial Law, that he may as well be called like Mister Karate, because yeah. uh, IMDb states that Martial Law Two was also released under the title Karate Cop. And I just imagine oh, wow. a movie where everyone refers to him as Karate Cop, and that would be <laughs> uh, pretty cool. That'd be nice. Oh, wow. Is that Steve McQueen's son? No, that's Karate Cop. <laughs> the Karate yeah, Cop great. program, keeping our streets safe. So I, I wonder that is undercover, like, uh, a later addendum when they were highlighting <laughs> Roth Rock, because certainly martial law is at no point in this film undercover. No, he's very much, I'm a cop all the time. Uh, Rothrock is the only one really doing anything. So yeah, I guess that would support your theory here that this is Rothrock's film and they just, you know, scooted her out. Well, you got to do what you got to do. When you get a, a talent like Jeff Wincat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's got to be like the, not even a top 10 best direct-to-video Jeff. It's just like <laughs> no screen presence. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this one up, but... Uh, I'd like you guys to do me a favor here. You're gonna, you're gonna put something over, but also you gotta go. Are, are you are you Team Chad or Team Jeff? Okay, I need I need to know. So Jake, go ahead. What are you putting over this week? Yeah, well, I may have spoiled it earlier, but uh, I'm Team Chad McQueen. Uh, so uh, sorry, fans of Wincott. That's uh, that's where I stand. 
And uh, as for my put-over, well, uh, after spending the last couple weeks of enjoying some fine British humor, I've been spending a lot of this last week sort of uh, dipping back into a, 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 a IP I dearly love but haven't really watched much of in the last decade, and that is the UK Top Gear. And uh, so I've been watching a lot of Top Gear clips. It's a lot of fun. Jeremy, James, and... Uh, 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 Jer- uh, uh, Richard, all great guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put over the uh, the Vietnam special, which I watched last night and is uh, excellent. It's a great hour of uh, television. Um, but there's there's a lot of good stuff on YouTube that uh, you can check out. But uh, yeah, so just uh, UK Top Gear, dig around, you'll enjoy something. All right, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Well, first off, I, I guess on a technicality of liking the movie more, I guess I, I'm Team Jeff, but honestly, they you could just... I was going to say you could stick them in each other's movies, but I was like, they could just stick it in each other and that would be a better movie. That would be something. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Team Team Jeff for currently. Um, and I'm going to put over... I don't remember what I put over the last time I was on, so I'm just... So hopefully I didn't put this over because I've not been watching a lot of movies. I'm a gamer now. That anyone who follows me on Twitter <laughs> understands. That's my my new my new identity. I'm gonna put over a movie called Flesh and Blood by uh, Mr. Uh, director. Not a lot of people know called Paul Verhoeven. He's from Holland, which is in Europe, and uh, he came over to America to make a couple of movies. None of them were big hits. Most of them, no one no one heard of them. But uh, Flesh and Blood was the first one he made, and it's it's a uh, fucking hilarious actually. Um, not much much talked about. Everyone went straight to RoboCop. Uh, but Flesh and Blood is uh, really great. I, it's been years since I'd seen it, so it's good to revisit it and remember that it is just such a wild movie. It's set in kind of medieval Europe, and it's basically about a band of outlaws who get dicked over by a king. Uh, so they just kind of decide they're going to follow a saint to who, who, through a series of, of accidents, leads them to a castle that they just managed to single-handedly take over. And they just uh, it just mess around and stuff. It's it's like it's just a medieval movie, but with all the like gross, icky, weird stuff left in. There's just so much casual cruelty and inhumanity in it, but all dressed up with that kind of Verhoeven kind of like kind of wink that most people just seem. A lot of people seem to miss. <laughs> a lot of people miss the Verhoeven wink, and next thing you know, they're saying that Starship Troopers seems real fascist. So oh, dude, you know, that's my favorite blue checkmark film opinion. on twitter (laughs) i just saw starship troopers for the first time in 20 years and as i even though i enjoyed it as a child i looking back now it seems incredibly fascist (laughs) it seems irresponsible frankly but yeah flesh and blood it's got rutger hauer jennifer jason lee is um honestly like she is just crazy in this movie i do not know how they found her. like probably the only american actress of the time who would take that role Frankly, I can't imagine anyone else doing what she does in that movie. Uh, in France, any actress would have done it. But in America, no. Only Jennifer Jason Lee. So yeah, Flesh and Blood. It's 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 a lot of fun. Watch it with your parents. That's a great recommendation, Jack. Uh, Myros, what do you put over this week? Uh, much like Jack, I, I've pretty much abandoned all media. Uh, at least during my break here, I've been solely playing Cyberpunk 2077. Uh... So, you know, I was saving a, a take for this section where I'm, I'm going to put over uh, the fashion from Martial Law 2 because, uh, I mean, I, I guess I got to call myself Team Jeff because you see this fucking, like, 
shoulder pad duster with the sleeves rolled up he's fucking rolling around in he's just like the the 90s right there uh, except in it's just the scuzziest looking motherfucker i've ever seen in my life and roth rocks blue pantsuit holy shit it's just amazing it's incredible uh the fashion in this film that's what i'm putting over uh wow. i mean you could watch it on mute you just want to see these looks <laughs> you probably wouldn't miss much in the plot yeah so, thank you for that myros that's a great put over this week you know i i was thinking a lot about this myself and do i give team jeff the victory do i do i go with team chad and i'm gonna stick with team chad i gotta go team chad because at the end of the day you have to ask yourself one question and that is which one of these two martial law boys are more likely to go to a Texas roadhouse and throw the peanuts on the floor? And the answer is Chad McQueen. <laughs> I'm going to change my vote based on that metric. You're correct, Steve. It's Chad all the way. <laughs> so that's why you got to vote Chad. As far yeah. as what I'm actually putting over this week, I was in Detroit for 24 hours. I, I saw a band called The Armed. It was amazing. It was like getting run over by a, a beautiful, like neon colored freight train. And they are an extremely interesting band because uh, nobody knows who's actually in the band. And when we saw them live, there was about 10 people on stage at any given time. And I counted at least 16 different people rotating in and out. I don't know anything about them other than they constantly like hire actors to portray them for interviews about the band. Um, there was a recent interview in revolver magazine where the author notes that th there was four members from the band on this zoom call. Uh, three of them gave fake names and the fourth one would only be, he said he had to be referred to as Mr. Huge <laughs> because he has big muscles. And during the interview, he was face down on a massage table, getting a massage while answering questions. <laughs> so yeah, they are. They have a new album called Ultra Pop. It's wonderful. They're wonderful. Uh, I, I love bands that just fuck with people. People thought Tony Hawk was in this band for a minute. It, it's it's weird. Just the more you read about them, the more confused you will be, and uh, the more you'll enjoy them. Also, at the show, at the end, there was a table set up uh, with a sign that said, "Thank you for coming to see us." Uh, please enjoy free milk and cookies. And there's milk and cookies for everyone. So that was nice too. Uh, with that, I guess, uh, you know, if, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. Also, there's a link in the description of this podcast that'll take you to our Patreon where you can give us money. Hey, how about that? I think we just got a new Patreon subscriber. I got like a email notification or something. And what will this new Patreon subscriber get? Well, that's a great question. Uh, depending on your tier level, um, you know, you, you get to help choose a future episode. Sometimes you can dictate a future episode if you give enough money. But above all else, you give it any single level. And if you live in the continental United States or this is somewhere where it's not too fucking expensive to ship you something, I'm going to send you a movie in the mail. Will you get Martial Law 1 and 2? I don't know. Maybe. Probably not, though. Uh, you get something. You're going to get a movie from me and maybe it'll suck. Maybe it'll be great. You don't fucking know, huh? And maybe it's, uh, maybe it's in the mood for love, but before they change the color grading, you baby, you can't handle it. So uh, don't do that. That's worth a lot of money. I know that was a joke. <laughs> I'm not going to fucking send anybody that I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay my mortgage. 
Um, <laughs> By the way, Steve, uh, this is a $5 patron. You're supposed to say his name. I, oh. I was thinking it might be a Tony Scott fan uh, back again because uh, he like dropped out and returned with a slightly different name. Uh, but no, this is in fact a new patron, uh, one Evan Gordon. Yeah, shout out Evan Gordon. I'm sorry. I, I thank didn't you, see Evan. your name. Yeah, thank you, Evan. I, I would have uh, you know, looked up your name, but again, I, I've been drinking for most of the weekend. I, I was in Detroit. Uh, Myros doesn't actually check the email, so uh, but we're here. Thank you, Evan. Um, <laughs> You've broken the kayfabe that I check the email every day or something. Yeah, you check every day. He just waits there, hit and refresh. I, well, I mean, you check it, maybe. I mean, you, you refresh it. You don't actually, like, read anything, so. Well, it is, like, 99% spam, so. Yeah, it's it's a lot of spam, and, um, and like the other one percent is usually like some transaction you made on PayPal through Optimism yeah, okay. Vaccine because that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Steve's embezzling. I forgot yeah. about that. I'm embezzling. He's he's PayPal. just made a recent payment to Samsonite. I hope you yeah, enjoy your new suitcase. Getaway, huh? <laughs> yeah. Suitcase company, <laughs> right? I need I need a good backpack to stuff all my fucking DB Cooper money into. <laughs> You're going to be buying a really lightweight, affordable check-on luggage thing for your escape. You're going to be heading to Europe. That's right. That's right. Need to, need, need to do any handoffs. I know an empty park in L.A. where we can do it in broad daylight and never get Ooh. caught. Fantastic. Listen, if there's, one, if there's, if there's a hot dog vendor, watch out. We'll be worried there's no street dog vendors nearby. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, Evan's going to get a movie soon, and you can get a movie, too. Just give us money. It's fun. Do it. Everybody's doing it. Uh, with that, Jake, last word's yours. Well, keep an eye out for you, Stingray. 